a special happiness this morning, at least in my spirit. I hope you're happy. Are, are we a happy congregation? Amen. Happy, happy, happy. Um, what a joy to receive new members, amen? And I want to just uh, say it's also a joy to have Tom's parents here, Jerry and Deb. Jerry and I are planning on watching the uh, Kansas uh, Broncos game later tonight. Excited about that. Aren't you, Shirley? Yeah, all right. And um, also Dave snuck in at the last minute, Dave Larrabee. Let's welcome him. Well, it seems fitting on a Sunday that we are welcoming new members that we revisit um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. This is a passage about the body of Christ and how it's like our physical bodies in many ways. And um, I was trying to figure out when I spoke on this last, and I have a vague, I have a terrible memory, so I have a vague memory that maybe it was maybe 10 years ago or something, but I did find uh, documentation that I sp spoke on this in 1991. So that's 22 years ago. So if you remember some of the illustrations, some of the uh, jokes and points, you've got a very, very good memory. Um, if you don't remember a thing, but you were here then, um, you may have slept a few nights since, since that time. I, on the on the way to, to church, I was using my calculator. It came out to about 8,000 nights that you've slept since, <laughs> since that 1991 message. So I'll forgive you if you don't remember. But um, let, let's read this passage together very carefully, line by line, and, and just drink deeply of the Word of God. Amen? This is uh, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. How many of you can say amen to that verse? I was a slave to sin, but God saved me and made me drink of his spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. This is a theme that we'll return to several times and Bill already alluded to as we receive the new members. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer. 
that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually, the King James Version translates that word particularly, members of it. How we need each other. Amen? Amen. How we need each other. It's especially true as you get older. You may remember the story of uh, Gertrude, Gladys, and Rose. They were in their 80s and 90s living together in a single dwelling. They were sitting at the kitchen table one night, and it was getting towards bedtime, and Gertrude said, girls, I think I'm going to go up to bed and take a bath and get into bed. They said good night, and Gertrude headed up the stairs and got to the bath and got undressed and started to get in the bath. In fact, she had one, one foot in the bathtub and one foot out of the bathtub, and suddenly she sort of couldn't decide what to do next. She yelled down and she said, girls, was I getting into the tub or getting out of the tub? Well, you can imagine Gladys and Rose, they looked at each other and chuckled and and uh, Gladys said, don't worry, sweetie, I'll go up and help her. And so she was headed up the stairs and stopped to pick up a piece of, of lint on the floor. And suddenly she wasn't quite sure what she was doing. So she yelled down to Rose, Rose, was I going up the stairs or going down the stairs? And Rose, you know, shook her head and, and said under her breath, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not as bad as those two. And then she thought, you know what, I better knock on wood about that. So she, she did that. And then she yelled, after a moment, she yelled to Gladys, Gladys, I'm on my way, sweetie, but give me just a second. Someone's at the front door. <laughs> or you might remember the uh, old man and the old woman who met each other at the nursing home dance. They didn't, hadn't run into each other before that night, and they had a marvelous time. In fact, the old man had such a marvelous time that he asked the woman to marry him and got her phone number before they both retired to their rooms. Well, in the morning, he was so excited, he called her up, and he said, sweetie, uh, I'm the man who asked you to marry him last night, and, but I'm so embarrassed I can't remember your name. And she said, well, we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, what did I say? <laughs> How we need each other. Some of you who are married and getting older are having moments like that, I know, with your spouse or your families. A couple of background points Paul was concerned about disunity at Corinth, wasn't he? If you remember in the first chapter, we read these words. 
Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul was concerned about disunity and dissensions. And in another place, he made an amazing statement about unity. He stated that unity is already given to us. It's our job to maintain it. This is from Ephesians 4. 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the Holy Spirit gives us unity, but it's our job to maintain it and to foster it. And so in this passage that we're going to walk through today that we read when we started, Paul is describing how it is that diversity and unity in the body of Christ are to work together, how we are interdependent and how we need each other. So let's begin. First of all, there is a diversity of gifts given for the common good. This is the passage that Bill read earlier about the varieties of gifts. This is starting in verse 4. This is before we get to our text. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each is given the manifestation for the common good. So we're all different. We all have different gifts, but we're to use them for the common good. You might notice that in verse 4, there's a reference to the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, there's a reference to the Lord, um, which I take to mean the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 6, the same God. And so perhaps Paul is even alluding to the fact that within the Godhead, there is diversity and yet unity. Uh, but... For us, to each is given the manifestation for the common good. Number two, the Holy Spirit distributes as he wills. Verse 11, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And as you go through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you see this repeated over and over in different ways. God has placed the members just as he desired, but God has so composed the body. And verse 28, God has appointed in the church. It's not up to us. He is the one who distributes as he wills. Third, unity doesn't mean uniformity, does it? For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so is Christ. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I want you to notice at the end of verse 12, you would expect Paul to say, um, so is the church, wouldn't you? For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is the church. You would, you would almost expect Paul to say that. And yet he says, so is Christ. He doesn't say, so, so this is like Christ. He says, so is Christ. And so what has been a metaphor is becoming a perpetual incarnation. We are the perpetual incarnation of Jesus Christ on this earth. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? So I want you to notice that. Then also in verse 13, we've already talked about how God deserves all the glory, doesn't he, for saving us and bringing us into his body and making us drink of his Holy Spirit. That is what gives us unity, isn't it? Is the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us. You heard the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, in God, God is not really limited to that statement, is he? He has led us to water, and he has made us drink. And thank God that he has. John Stott writes, through Christ and in Christ, we are nothing less than God's new society. Isn't that a captivating truth? That we are, God is creating and has created on this earth a new society, and that's who we are, the single new humanity, which he is creating. We are the family of God the Father, the body of Jesus Christ his Son, and the temple or dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So we're obviously not all the same, nor is it intended to be so. I couldn't help but think about the line, for we are a peculiar people. Yes. Each member, number four, has intrinsic value. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of a body, a part of the body. The word intrinsic, I chose that word because intrinsic means belonging to the essential nature of something. Now, what is the essential nature that each of us share with each other? Christ, the Spirit of Christ inside us, the Holy Spirit living inside us is that essential nature that we share. This value is emphasized in the phrases that I've got in bold here. Um, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. It is not, you know, the, the foot says to the hand, uh, it, obviously the foot is looking up to the hand. That's the next point I want to make, that notice the proximity of, of uh, function in verse 15, the foot 
to the hand are both um, um, uh, connected by movement. And then the ear and the eye are about sensing. And the ear, the, the, the foot is looking up to the hand. And the ear is looking slightly up and around the corner to the eye. And Chrysostom writes about this. The foot contrasts itself with the hand rather than the ear because we don't envy those who are very much higher than ourselves so much as those who have gotten just a little above us. Isn't that true? We all have intrinsic value in this new society. No one is not needed, and we all equally belong. If you break your arm, you don't just cut off your arm and throw it away. You, you splint it, and you let it heal until it can function once again. Um, and so we all have value, whether we're fulfilling our role or not. There's nothing said here about function. Number five, your part in the body is essential. Not only do you have intrinsic value, but your role in the body is essential. And here are the verses. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Well, my mind does strange things with this, these verses. I imagine waking up some morning and instead of being my usual self, I'm a giant ear. And uh, I picture myself kind of slinking to the bathroom to brush my teeth, but I don't have any teeth. And then I think, well, that breaks down because I don't even have a brain. How would I know anything? Um, so that doesn't work. But maybe when you were a kid, you played the game where you said to your friends, if you could only have your eyesight or your hearing, you know, which would you want to preserve more? And uh, I'm kind of an eye guy. Uh, I think most of us would probably, faced with that question, we would choose our eyes. And I think it's because we trust our eyes more than maybe any other sense. Um, we have the phrase, seeing is believing, don't we? And yet, if you look deeply into um, magic or puzzles, um, you, you quickly learn that your, your eyes can be fooled. Your eyes can be tricked. Some of us uh, know that our sense of taste can be tricked as well. Um, how many of you have heard of eating an apple and an onion and a potato, uh, plugging your nose? Anybody tried that? I tried it last night, and uh, I, I didn't know which was the onion. Uh, and it's because of the taste buds on various parts of my tongue. It was really interesting. Part of my tongue didn't, couldn't tell, but when I pushed it over to, to some other spot, you could tell it was, you know, hot and, and burning. Back in the 80s, 
there was a contest. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Um, do we have any Coke lovers out there? Anybody really love Coca-Cola? Rebecca, see, you did weasel into this sermon. <laughs> Joe, how many Pepsi people? Oh, Andy, are you a Pepsi guy? All right, brother. Yeah. So Pepsi, of course, Dawn, she's so healthy, she, she would be saying bad people for, for drinking pop at all. But in the 80s, there was this Pepsi challenge. Do you remember that? You took it, Dorothy, and what did you pick? Oh, so you weren't fooled. Which did you like better? Oh, so you, you couldn't get past your affinity and tradition of the Coke. <laughs> well, they gave this test to hundreds and hundreds of Coke drinkers, and most of them chose Pepsi. Just with a blindfold and just tasting, they a sip, they preferred the Pepsi. And so the Coca-Cola was losing market share to Pepsi at this time, and so they freaked out, and they turned it over to their guys in the lab and said, we got to fix our flavor. And so they came out with new Coke. And everybody, all the Coke people, they got over 400,000 letters saying, we hate this new Coke. And so they introduced Coke Classic, which was really the old Coke, and they phased out this new Coke. And now everybody's happy again, and Coke is back on top with 17% of the American market share. Pepsi comes in somewhere around 9%. Um, but I, I use this illustration to point out that our bodies are really interdependent on other parts of the body. For example, um, why is it that Pepsi will always win a taste, not always, but most of the time win a taste test, but people keep buying Coke. And the, big, the, the main um, theory about that is that it's the tradition of Coke, it's the, the packaging, it's the marketing of Coke, and the, the brain's association with all the memories through the years of drinking Coke that will never allow Pepsi to take over first place. And so our, not only are our senses interdependent with each other, but there's things like memory, um, attributions, values, um, history, uh, brain science, all these things make these choices and all go together. Our bodies are incredibly complex, and I think it's the same for the body of Christ, don't you? That it's the intermingling where Christ has made us like a symphony, very complex, very interrelated. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says this, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to, and these are just beautiful phrases, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The only way we can do that is together. The only way we can fill up that stature of the fullness of Christ is as a body. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that's us, that's you, that's me, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We all have intrinsic value and our role in the body is essential. Again, God decides our position and our gifts, doesn't he? But now God has placed the members each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And I thought of these little application points for some reason at this point. You know, we need to resist the urge to compare ourselves to others, don't we? We really need to resist that urge to compare our outsides. Excuse me, we, we, we often compare our insides to someone's outside. We have no idea what's going on inside of them. There's, there's not supposed to be jealousy here or condescension of any kind. Resist the urge to be disgruntled. You're not just a bump on a log here. You're, you're valuable. You're needed here. Just your presence is needed here. Discern rather than decide what your gifts are. You know, if it's the Holy Spirit who distributes as he wills, then it's not up to Jim Grinnell to decide what his gifts are. Um, you know, I evaluate what God's doing in me, and I want to be used. However, I sense that he is, has gifted me. But it's not up to me to pick something and then just decide that's who I'm going to be. Use your gifts for God's glory and do your best to be at peace. Paul wrote, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness is a means of great gain when it is accompanied by contentment. Number seven and eight, there is no place for condescension and seemingly weaker members are indispensable. I love that word and that reality, that our weaker members, or what we deem to be our weaker members, are indispensable. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, we bestow with more abundant honor. Paul is using the analogy of clothing here, that we cover our less seemly parts and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another 
same care here has a strong force. It's more like anxious concern, thoughtful trouble, concentrated love. Let me go back here. Verse 22a um, says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again to the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There's just no place for condescension, is there? The two cancers in the body of Christ are feeling less than and feeling more than. Feeling less than and feeling more than. We have, to, uh, we have to avoid both. And then in verse 22 through 25, perceived weaker members are indispensable. I want to read a quote from a paper I wrote back at ORU. It seems, it says this, the expositor's Greek testament refers to these verses saying, weakness is compensated by needfulness. Weakness is compensated by needfulness. And again, the word care in the Greek connotes anxious concern for someone. It might also be translated thoughtful trouble or concentrated love. The the translation, the same care here, just doesn't capture the intensity of of the language. And I love that here at TCF, we have that kind of intensity. Point nine is we are in it together. Amen? We are in it together. This is a phrase that Jim uses quite often, and I think to my dying day, uh, I will always remember that phrase, and uh, I'm very thankful to Jim. That, another one, Jim, I, another Jimism I always remember is, if you're going to play baseball, you're going to get dirty. I like it. Yeah. All right, let's look at Luther's quote here. Well, first of all, let's read verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's look at Luther's quote on the first part of verse 26. He's talking about when one member suffers, all suffer together. See what the whole body does when the foot is trodden on or a finger is pinched. How the eye looks dour, the nose draws up, the mouth cries out, and all the members are ready to rescue and to help, and none can leave the other, so that it means not the foot or the finger is trodden on and is pinched, but the entire body. Isn't that a great quote? The entire body. And then as far as when one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it, Wesley points out this, that not all are honored when one is honored, as in the suffering part, but rather they rightly rejoice in his honor. And isn't that true? If someone has an accomplishment or uh, we don't steal, we don't try to steal that from the person, we honor that person for the accomplishment. Wesley goes on to say, this is the true, unselfish, outgoing Christian spirit. This week, uh, Jim sent out an email to 
at least the elders and perhaps the Conclave brothers, I'm not sure. But he wrote this. He said, as I communicate with churches and individuals across the nation, there is so much turmoil, loss of jobs, health issues, relational challenges, doctrinal issues, financial challenges, impulsiveness, trouble within families, etc., to a greater degree than I recall ever being true in the past. Our prayer lists are becoming documents rather than a single page. So many things are happening on so many fronts. I can only conclude that something unusual is happening in the heavenlies. I exhort all of us to be steady in our prayers, committed in our relationships, and alert for the wiles of the devil who seek to take our attention off of our Lord. It is not an empty mantra when I say, come what may, we are in this together. We are in it together. Thank you, Jim, for that. So, our overall conclusion is we need each other. We need each other. I want to say that unity is not just a gift, it's also a weapon. We think of prayer, we think of prophecy as weapons, we think of confession and faith, the Word of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but unity is also a tremendously powerful weapon. We need to, we need to maintain the unity that we have. Also, I want to ask you to resist the urge to withdraw from the body. Um, we're all human. Uh, we all sometimes want to uh, tuck in our tails, as it were, and withdraw. We're tired of the battle. And um, we, we can even withdraw from each other. But I want to encourage you to resist that urge to withdraw into yourself or to withdraw out of close fellowship with others. I had a seminary professor who used to say, if you get alone, you get picked off. If you get alone, you get picked off. So let's resist. Let's resist that urge. When you feel that urge come upon your spirit to, uh, to withdraw, uh, I want to ask you to resist that, to remember this moment and resist that. I want you to ask you to embrace the truth that you are of particular value to this body of Christ. You are not a bump on a log. You are not just coming here Sunday after Sunday with no purpose. You have a particular role and a particular value. You know, the truth is all of us, even all of us elders, at times wonder, what in the heck am I supposed to be doing? You know? Is that okay to admit that, you guys? Uh, you know, I mean, even, even as busy and as uh, focused as our lives are, it's, it's just human to wonder, what in the heck am I doing? Is my, is my life counting? I want to encourage us that that's a normal thought, it's a normal feeling, but we need to push through and not believe that. Not believe that, that uh, we have no value or we're a bump on the log. Fourth, I want to ask you to discern your gifts and use them to build up the body and for God's glory. And then finally, let us 
intensify our love for one another. These are just some thoughts I had. Have that person over that you've been thinking about. Uh, Make that encouraging phone call when you get that little whisper in your ear. Spend that time in prayer. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Think about how you can serve this community of faith, God's new society. I'm really proud of um, so many of you, but I'll just lift up one thing. Judah Sills, who was, uh, became a member today, even before he was a member, he wanted to do security. He saw a need, and he jumped in with both feet, and, uh, and uh, we we're kind of like, well, should we let him do security? We don't even know the guy, you know, but, but Judah's done a good job at that, and and um, we're just uh, pleased with your spirit, Judah, in, in jumping in like that. So um, that's all I have to say. Would you uh, stand with me and let's pray through these things? So pleased with basic, too, that Daniel and Lauren, that you have chosen as your theme for this year, love the church. And uh, that's what we want to do. So let's just pray through these uh, five points here. Father, we just want to thank you for this body called Tulsa Christian Fellowship. Thank you for the visitors who are with us today, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this to their lives as well. We thank you for the new members who joined us today, and we pray that this body would be a tremendous, tremendous blessing to them as they step forward in their most holy faith. Father, we pray that you'd help us to maintain the unity that's here in the bond of peace. We know challenges will come. We know that challenges from our own flesh will come. And there will be times we need rebuke. There will be times we need someone to come alongside and encourage us. There'll be times we're battling discouragement or an illness like Vicki is battling or so many situations. Uh, But Lord, we pray that we would be, as Jim says, in it together. We would be in the same boat. We would come to each other's aids that love would be genuine in this body. We pray, Lord, for ourselves that we would Resist the urge to withdraw from one another. Uh, We do understand that if we get alone, we do in fact get picked off by the enemy. So we pray that we would recognize that urge for what it is and we would uh, determine to press in rather than uh, withdraw, Lord. Uh, We thank you, Father, for giving us wisdom and perseverance in those moments. We also pray, Lord, for any who are not sure that they are valuable contributors to this body. Lord, for those who think, I'm just coming, I don't know why I'm coming, but I'm just coming. Lord, we pray that you would, this message would help them and open their minds and encourage them that they are of value. 
and uh, not only value, but have an intrinsic role, a, a special role to play. And we pray, Father, that you would help us all discern what our gifts are, how you want to use us in this body, and that we would be an army of willing people. Thank you, Father. We also pray, Lord, that we could discern those gifts and use them for your glory, that we'd be content, Father, with uh, what you've given us to do, what you've put in front of us for this day and this week and this month. And then, Father, we pray that you would intensify our love for each other. Uh, As a whole, I'm just so pleased and excited with the love in this body, but with myself as an individual, um, I know my weaknesses. We all know our own weaknesses, Lord. Help us to love intensely. Help us to um, be willing to put ourselves out there and not draw back. Uh, We just thank you for the deep sense of koinonia and the baptism of love that you've Uh, given this body, but we know we haven't arrived, Lord. We know we need to love more deeply, more more, um, evenly, Lord, that we wouldn't be partial to this person or that person, but we would really love every member with an an anxious concern, um, as your word has said. We just love you, Lord. We give this message to you. We pray it would bear fruit in our lives. And uh, again, we ask you to especially bless the new members who have joined us today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Okay, Bill is telling me to close, so Father, we, we do just again offer ourselves to you. We pray for a good week. Pray that we would have some chances, Lord, to gossip the gospel, that you'd give us wisdom and we'd be the salt and light. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful community of believers where we do find life.